Today's scripture comes again from the letters to the Corinthian church here in the second book of Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. I have a confession to make today, and that is that this passage and this whole idea, this theme for today, is a difficult one for me. Because I don't know about most of you, but I kind of like and adhere to the past. The things that I know. The things that are comfortable. And so when I hear Paul talking about things like the old way versus the new way, I get more than a little nervous. I don't believe that everything new is always good for example. Just because something is new doesn't automatically make it better than what we are used to or what we are comfortable with. New music doesn't always turn me on, Marty, as one example. And so during the week as I was thinking about this passage and reading it and kind of looking into it deeper, I really struggled at times to think about How can I preach if I don't believe everything about this? And I think sometimes the scriptures challenge us in ways that we don't always expect. And I think that Jesus said some things throughout his ministry and in his parables especially that had shock value, that he said things that were unheard of before. It was a new message for the people. And, of course, we have the Old Testament that was the established Bible of his day. And then he was living out what would become the New Testament. Back to my struggle. When we had the Reformation with Martin Luther and the rest of the leaders of the church, there was the idea that that sometimes over history... People have said, and we have felt, that sometimes we threw out the baby with the bathwater. I mentioned this past Wednesday night 
as we were getting ready for the healing service, that our current book of worship, which came out in, I think, 89, was welcomed with some trepidation in our denomination. Because there were things in our book of worship that we in our United Methodist denomination and in our Protestant heritage had not seen before. Things like a healing service. Things like anointing with oil. Things like reaffirmation of baptism. And some of those things sounded awfully Catholic to us Protestants. But if what I said before is true, that with the Reformation we got rid of a lot of things and threw out some good things as well as some bad things, maybe sometimes new things should come back. And there's value in what we do. There's also the idea, I'm not the best student in the world, but this whole idea of the old school versus the new school. Those of you who are teachers have learned that we students learn differently. We're not the same. And so to teach one way might not be the best way to reach all the students. There are new ways of teaching that we've learned over the years that are indeed beneficial and probably help more students than what we did in the past. But I also have a theory that sometimes if it's not broken, why don't we fix it? So it's kind of a pull and a tug and a yes and both and no and both. And we have a lot of things that change. And sometimes the change is good, but sometimes the change is awful. Not all change is good and not all change is bad. So when Paul is preaching about a new thing, preaching about becoming a new creature, I already have my arms up like, now wait a minute, slow down, Paul. Let me catch up with you because I'm not convinced that everything new is always better. You have heard this phrase, I'm sure, new and improved. As I said before, just because something is new does not necessarily mean it's improved. Sometimes improvements have been a debacle. And those improvements have not been welcomed very well. I'm sure you can think of examples in our history. But sometimes new and improved is an oxymoron. Sometimes it works, but not always. The slide I slipped over... Oops, I'm sorry. Anybody remember that kind of a phone? How many of you ever used that kind of phone? Just about everybody here, even a young person here today. I saw a video of... I don't, it was probably on Facebook or something on social media, but it was two young boys teenagers or so, maybe young teenage years, and they saw this phone. Well, they didn't know what it was. They saw this thing on the table. And they thought it might be a phone, and they were trying to figure out how to use it. And it was absolutely hysterical. Do you remember having to dial a 9 or a 0? It took forever! Now we just punch it, right? We just hit it one time and it's done. No more... Click, 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 click. Right? No more of that. So maybe sometimes new and improved is definitely better. Anybody have call waiting? 
or have a party line. Anybody have a party line? We, we did at home. This is funny. My mom just mentioned this a couple months ago. When we were kids, we had a party line. And what that meant was you didn't have your own phone line. You shared a phone line with a neighbor or two. And when they were on the phone, you could pick it up and hear their conversation. Oh, we could have been bad. We weren't, but we could have been, you know. And they could have been bad, too. Maybe they were. We don't know. You know, who knows? (laughs) But... How things have changed. We've gone from having party lines to having your own personal phone number, right? Now you have a cell number. Uh, I got rid of my landline this past, about a month ago, and it was a big step for me. I'm old-fashioned, and it was hard. I kept thinking to myself, this is dangerous. And I thought about it really in terms of the church, because I had publicized that number here in the church for the whole time I've been here since 2002, and there are a select few people who will continually call that number, even though they might know my cell phone number. And sometimes cell reception is not very reliable up on the mountain, may I say. I go up the mountain on 115, and there's a spot where I get about two-thirds of the way up the mountain, and everything goes bad. And and, and when you're trying to talk, talk like that, it's very frustrating. Or when you hear that. So... We have limitations and things that are new and things that are old that maybe get better. I could go on and on explaining all kinds of examples of how I don't believe new is always guaranteed to be better or how sometimes it is time to bring in the new to replace some old things. I mean, look at television. I remember sitting in front of a black and white TV. Anybody else remember that? Anybody remember not having a TV? (laughs) Listening to the radio, you know, listening to the stories on the radio. And now we even have our own personalized screens. You can watch TV on your smartphone or your tablet. Is that always better? I'll let you decide that. Paul is saying that when we become a Christian... When our lives are changed by Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. That the old has passed and the new has come. And I guess for me, that's a little hard to really get my head around. Because for me, I grew up in the church. I have always been around the church. And for most of my life, at least my conscious life, I've been a believer. So I remember many years ago when I was a young man in our hometown church, probably only in about maybe fourth grade or so, maybe fifth. We had two men in the church who were very influential. And they impacted me because I was a part of a Sunday school they were part of, teaching us young children. And we had a humongous Sunday school. We had a big church and we had probably over a hundred in the grades from uh, fourth to fifth grade, just in that two grades, you know, we had a lot of kids. And these two men were very influential to me, but to a lot of us boys and girls in that Sunday school class. I'll mention both of them because they were so amazing and so special to me. First was uh, Ray Becker. Ray was our Sunday school superintendent in the intermediate class, that meant the ages of 
fourth grade and fifth grade, and maybe sixth, I'm not sure, but those two at least. And a superintendent was charged with making sure that we had Sunday school for these ages every day, every Sunday, and that we had teachers to fill those roles to make sure that we had a teacher for each class. We had two fourth grade classes. And what we would do is we would gather together with all the two or three classes together in a big conglomeration in a big room there, and we had an opening exercise. And yes, we called it an opening exercise because we got exercise. We would sing songs. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart that we sometimes sing here for a praise song. And we didn't just sing it. We acted it out. And by the end of the song, you were trying to sing and keep your breath. It was hard. We were up and down and jumping out of our seats and doing all kinds of crazy things. And then we had a combined offertory. All the kids would bring their quarter or dollar into the church. Usually put a quarter or maybe two quarters uh, for Sunday school. And you would put that in the offering plate or the basket they passed around. And again, with those big conglomeration of all the classes together. And then, usually, Mr. Becker, our superintendent, would share a quick story. And it wasn't a sermon or anything, but it was a quick story. And it was always engaging. I always liked to hear what Mr. Becker was talking about. It was always an amazing story for us to hear. And then fast forward a little bit, I became probably an 8th grader or ninth grader, and our church decided to go down to Philippi, West Virginia. Heart and Hand House, one of our United missions down there. And Mr. Becker, who happened to be a carpenter, went along on that first trip. By the way, they've been going every year since to that same mission field. And we saw them, I think, last year or two years ago. Um, but anyway, Mr. Becker, I got to work alongside with when he was working on this mission trip. And here was our first job. This is back in, what, 1980 or 79 or so. It's a long, long time ago. We get to this house in Appalachia, West Virginia, and the house is coming off its foundation. Remember, Jesus said when you build a house, you build it on sand, right? No, you build it on what? On the rock, on a sturdy foundation. Well, this, thank you, Jeremy, this house was not built, ooh, almost built it, um, not built on a rock or sturdy foundation, it was built on Shifting sand. And so the house was starting to go kind of, you know, a little cantered. And that, when you walk across the floor and you go downhill, that's a bad thing. So Mr. Becker, by the way, didn't have a college education. But single-handedly devised a plan for us to jack up that corner of the house and then put in a brand new cement foundation, and then block wall to shore it up. So to say that I had a lot of admiration for Mr. Becker is truly an understatement. He was impressive to me. I loved his stories, but I also got to work beside him and watch his mind do amazing things that I could never have thought of as a young man. So one Sunday, Mr. Becker doesn't tell us a story. Instead, he has this other man, a younger man than him, come up front who introduced himself as Bill Hogan. We didn't know Bill, Mr. Hogan, but he seemed like a neat guy. He was young and slim and ten, uh, slender and 
It was full of energy. But when he started telling his story, he got a little emotional. And he told us the story of how he became a Christian. Because before that moment in time, he was a bad man. Now, I was kind of sheltered in my young life growing up. I didn't know many bad men. And so when I found out that Mr. Hogan was a bad man, my ears perked up. I wanted to know why he was bad, you know. What did he do? Well, he was a drunk on the weekends. Would beat his wife and run around on her. Dabbled in drugs every now and again. And we're all sitting there like, wow, we never heard this before. Especially, especially in church. Because church is for the holy people, right? I began to learn that no, church is for the sinners of all kinds. So Bill, Mr. Hogan, told us a story of how he had a conversion experience. I don't remember all the details of his story, but I do remember him saying that he was brought down to his knees literally one night when he was misbehaving. And somehow or the other, God spoke to him in a very obvious and dramatic way, kind of like we hear Paul on the road to Damascus, had a very big changing experience. And we're all sitting there with our mouth wide open thinking, we've never heard this before, especially in our church. And Mr. Hogan told us the story of how he became a new creation. That, that God, through Christ, had changed his life, but not just changed his life a little bit, had changed it dramatically. That what he once was, he was no longer. And what he was now, he had never known before. It was night and day. That's what Paul is talking about when he says that we are a new creation. Now, we don't all have that experience, right? Many of us have spent a long time in the church, and even if we had a very dramatic conversion experience, we don't remember it very long. And Paul was saying that when we are walking the walk with Jesus, and when he is part of our daily thinking and daily living, then we are a brand new creation. We're different than we used to be. And that is what Paul wanted for the members of the church in Corinth. He wanted them to experience that new creation, that different way of thinking. And here's the one exception I'm thinking. This new creation is, in fact, always better than before. Remember I said before, not every new thing is always better and improved? This is the exception. When you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, it is automatically better than what you were before. I remember my dad talking to me as he was getting up in years, and we'd be having a lot of conversations up in the mountains at our cabin, and he would say to me, you know, Bob, I think I'm getting more patient. And I would laugh at him. Say, really, Dad? You think? 
And I think he was right. The longer we are at living our life for Christ, the more progress we ought to see in the reflection of that new creation that God's making us into. Now again, we're going to be making mistakes, we're going to be human, we're going to mess it up. That's why I kind of tease my dad, says, really? You think you're more patient? Because just this morning you hollered at me. <laughs> but, you know, we see progress over time. And it might take time. It might take a long time. It might take a lifetime. But Paul is saying, we are a new creation when we're Christian, when we're followers of Jesus. This verse 17 is the pivotal verse that I've been thinking about this whole week. If anyone is in Christ, and I'm assuming that we all are here at least, then you are a new creation. You're not the same as you always was. Your thinking isn't the same as it always was. Let's think specifically about how some of those things are different than they used to be. We know that bad things happen. Lots of families have bad things happen. But our thinking about those bad things begins to change, does it not? I said the other week, what's the worst that can happen to me? We're talking about safety in church, Brad. Suppose some Sunday a shooter comes in and aims for the pastor first. And I die from that shot. That's probably one of the worst things I can imagine happening to me. Second might be, I'm in the truck and I'm driving too fast, lose control and crash into something or somebody else and die in a car accident. As a Christian, my perspective is a whole lot different than if I wasn't a Christian. Because my outlook depending on either one of those two occasions, is not just there or here, but guess where? I'm amazed at the analogy of this stained glass window, or the non-stained glass window for a moment, if you will. It's amazing how a little bit of color and a little bit of design, that is beautiful, can change a whole window. Imagine for a moment... If that whole window was clear, in the afternoon, it'd be hard to see up front, because the sun comes that way. See, I've been here long enough to know how the sun comes in the church. But if that was all glass and not stained glass, imagine how bright and, may I say, not as attractive, because you'd see the tree limbs bare in the wintertime and... You see the weather, and you might get distracted not to look up there, but to look up there, right? But it is the coloring and the design of that stained glass window that projects onto us the shepherd, Jesus, who holds us in his arms. Because we're the lambs, we're the sheep. And that window is an analogy of how we're changed from the clear, opaque glass to a glass that reflects the face of Jesus. If, in fact, we are a new creation. 
Because how we live isn't the same as it used to be. And, and how a Christian lives is not the same as a non-believer lives. And the real rubber of the road matters not on Sunday morning, but how we Christians live on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday night and Thursday afternoon. Because it's very easy to reflect Jesus' face in church, for the most part. But it's a whole different story to be a stained glass window, to be a new creation when somebody cuts me off on 80. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that lately, a lot of people are cutting me off. And I'm not making this up. I mean, I'm not being more sensitive than normal. I've had some close calls lately in the last two weeks. And I think what bugs me more than anything is when they come out like this on their phone and haven't been paying attention. And then we wonder why there are accidents on the road. I need to be as much of a Christian then as I am today right now preaching. And sadly, sometimes I'm not. But we need to think about how we are reflecting the face of Jesus to the other people that we meet in our lives. Paul says, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So live it. Live it in your actions. Live it in your words. And live it in loving others, even as you love God. Let us pray. God, you are amazing. You take us people, as rotten to the core as we sometimes are, and you change us for the better. God, we ask you this week to bless our week, to bless our lives, and to bless our words and our actions. That we can be the new creations you want us to be, not just today on the Sabbath day, but every day of the week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.